Welcome to the 100th episode of the Mike on Much podcast. Joining us on the phone from Europe is our friend and trusty producer for the 100th time, Max Kerman. Max, how's it going? I'm just a lad from Liverpool, you know. <laughs> I, I, we were just a couple of... Couple of young guys making music, you know. We we're just playing guitar. We didn't think it was a big deal, you know. Oh my god! <laughs> you're really, you're really going yeah. all out for the hundredth episode. We got voices, character work. <laughs> that might have been the weirdest thing you've ever done, man. <laughs> well, you know what's funny is that that was my Liverpool accent. Um, and recently, well, yesterday, I posted a video on the Arkell socials of me playing guitar as an eight-year-old playing Beatles songs. And my accent has actually gotten worse over the years. Like as an eight-year-old, it sounded kind of like Paul McCartney, but now it's gotten way worse. Lauren uh, pointed that out to me immediately, that uh, my accent, because I'm notoriously very bad at doing any impressions. Well, when you're younger, you're more like a sponge. So it's easy to learn uh, accents and languages. That's right. And less self-conscious. Yeah, exactly. Well, now the whole world, or at least our listeners of the pod, have heard your Liverpool accent as an adult. <laughs> also joining us for the 100th time, or actually maybe 99th, there was an episode you weren't on because Max had the nut on. Oh, that was brutal, man. Let's not bring it up. <laughs> well, well, um, well, Max, you do want to talk about grudges in this episode, yeah. but joining us for the 100th time in our hearts, uh, our pop culture aficionado, Shane Christian Cunningham. Shane, what's going on? Hello, mates. How's it going, <laughs> you blokies? <laughs> Um, guys, today on the episode, our feature guest is Ed Robertson from the Bare Naked Ladies, a uh, Canadian institution, legends in this country, and it was a great conversation, and we're going to get to Ed in a bit, but before that, uh, there's so many people that we want to kind of quickly thank off the top who have been instrumental in making this pod uh, a reality for us, and obviously for all of you listeners. That is the man at the top that kind of made this happen. Max and I pitched him in his office, and that's why we were doing this, and it is the Mike on Much podcast, and that is Justin Stockman. Um, also, uh, the beloved Webmaster Dan, who is amazing. Webby D. <laughs> What'd you call him? Webby D. Webby D. Um, Mike McShane, who is the guy that's been sending us on trips, whether it's uh, Coachella or Just for Laughs or Oceaga. Um, Greg Stewart, who a lot of the interviews that you hear take place in his office right here at 299. He sets those up. He is the absolute best. Sarah McLaren who uh, obviously is amazing and also sent us to Just for Laughs um, and, and her team, Adam Slynn. Um, she's been instrumental, obviously, in helping us out and getting us some really amazing um, um, guests on the comedy side. Uh, there's a sort of a platoon of people that um, mix this podcast every week for us. Matt, Liz, Danny, David, thank you guys. You guys, uh, people that are listening to us, you obviously would not um, be hearing the nice crisp sounds of our voices without their uh, magic on the mixer. Um, of course, Manager Ash, who, although she came into our lives as your manager, Max, I feel like she's now basically just... Uh, she's the pod manager, too, now. Yeah. Honestly. <laughs> um, Jenna, Gregory, who does all of the doodles that you guys see every week. Um... Uh, and Tara Paquette, who does all the lettering and puts it all together uh, for everything that you guys see on the YouTube pages and then also that we Instagram and tweet. Um, and finally, uh, Shane and I have a boss. His name is Randall Graham. And uh, if he didn't sort of uh, kindly look the other way when Shane and I every once in a while slip out to do this side job, uh, we wouldn't be able to do it. So it's nice to have a cool boss and creative director that uh, fully supports us. You know, uh, you you list all these names, and it becomes very clear that I do the least amount of work on this podcast out of anybody. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know what? We should also thank the nut. Come on, guys. The nut. He's a big part of this, no? Yeah. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, so thank you to everybody that we just listed. Uh, you guys are amazing, and and. and 
biggest thanks you of all, which I'm sure will thank you uh, at the end, is to anybody that listens to this thing. So the listeners, thank you guys, because uh, if you guys didn't listen to it, we'd just be like a, a tree falling in the forest. It's true. Exactly. Thank you, everybody. Okay, so 100 episodes. Guys, what do you want to talk about? Max, you're the producer. What do, what do you want to talk about? Yeah, well, normally, if I was like in the room with you, I'd want to get really sentimental, and we could have a good cry over everything we've accomplished. I, I don't think the Champagne Boys do anything better than uh, pat themselves on the back when it comes to our <laughs> our individual and collective accomplishments. Uh, we, we really like to do that, especially you know on a Friday night, like after 11 p.m. After uh, we've all had a, a few drinks, we we really like to get into it. So we'll save uh, that episode for when I'm home. Uh, but you know. I've been touring around the UK and um, we had an amazing day in Belfast. And if anybody's uh, thinking about going to Ireland, I highly recommend you check out Belfast. Fascinating city, the history there and the politics and sort of um, the violence that occurred between uh, the Catholics and the prods, as they say, uh, you know, it was kind of existed for a very long time and I didn't really know anything about it until I took the tour. So I was thinking about uh, the idea of just people holding grudges. And then, you know, we have Ed Robertson on the show uh, with the Barenaked Ladies. And famously, Stephen Page is not in the band. And I was just thinking about the idea of band members leaving and grudges being held. So I was thinking it might be kind of interesting to talk about the idea of grudges. And if there's any, and, and how, I don't know, you guys um, think about, you know, grudges that you hold and what it would take to get over a grudge. Wow. So I guess my first question to you guys, we don't have to get into details about specific people or anything like that, but would you say that you uh, are a forgiving type or are there things that really you'll hold on to and uh, because cause you just can't get over it, uh, like a personal slight? And by the way, I don't mean to compare what's gone on in the Barenaked Ladies to what happened in Belfast. <laughs> Those are two very different things. <laughs> Uh, people are going to be like, did he just compare Belfast to the Barenaked Ladies? That's not what I mean. <laughs> and even talking to Ed Robertson, he seems to be um, – and and you met Stephen Page. They both seem to be very kind of gregarious, sweet guys, and clearly something happened there. It was the cocaine, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, this is the thing. I mean, if, if they, something happened uh, in the past, like people fuck up all the time. And, you know, people can do each other wrong all the time. And that, that's, like, I think, a part of life. But how you choose to deal with that and if you want to get over it or not is sort of the next part of it. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think for, for me, I, you know, I, I don't like I don't really hold grudges. I, I can't think of a grudge that, I, that I've, I've held for a long time or like, I don't know, like I've definitely had confrontations like with, with my friends or my family, but I can't think of any long-standing grudge just because I think philosophically, I'm I I don't think it serves a purpose. Like if I'm spending time thinking about something I'm angry about or an issue I've had with somebody, then I'm not spending time doing things that I actually enjoy or things that make me feel good. Like I do I, I don't I don't get off on the sort of um the anger that one can have and holding on to that. Like it doesn't make me feel good to feel angry about something. So I actually I don't have any grudges that I can I can think of. Yeah, well, th- this is the thing about it's so this is why the idea kind of fascinates me a little bit because. It's a uh, it's a really powerful thing. I think that that people can uh, experience. Well, I mean, do you do you, are you holding any current grudges, Max? How, how are you on that sort of uh, spectrum of holding on to those sort of slights or feuds with somebody? I think I'm pretty good, but I but if I'm being truly honest with myself, there's probably a couple in there that 
I'm in, I'd be embarrassed to even say, but are, I'm sort of like holding on to for no really good reason, you know? And then, yeah, it's probably some shame that comes with that. Uh, what about you, Shane? Um, I'm mostly grudgeless. Yeah, I'm pretty, and I'm very forgiving. Like if I'm ever in any sort of thing with anyone or have been in the past and they say, sorry, I'm just totally forget about it. People think the nut and I have uh, real grudges going on, but mostly it's, there's like a seed of truth, but it's mostly for comedic purposes because the nut and I are actually friends. Some people think we're we're not friends, but we are. Well, I think like a, a strong sign of friendship is when you write a diss track about somebody that everybody can get and is readily available. Well, have you heard the song? Not only is it catchy, but it's hilarious. <laughs> Download the track, guys. There's one takeaway from this 100th episode. It's called The Nutcracker, by the way, available on iTunes. Well, you know what? I think, I think you touched on something there, Shane, uh, which is this idea of apologizing. And some people, I think, just generally have a hard time apologizing. And if people like, you know, just acknowledged each other and, and just said, Hey, look, I'm actually really sorry. And that probably opens doors in ways that are incredibly helpful that, you know, a lot of people just can't bear to do because they have too much pride. Did any of you guys listen to this uh, Sam Harris, Ezra Klein uh, debate that, that sort of took over the podcast world last week? I missed that one. Uh, who are those people? <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. It's not worth getting into. <laughs> so to wrap up this grudge thing, if you're holding one, if there's someone out there that you're beefing with for, you know, in honor of the 100th episode, let it go. Let it it's go. It's not worth it. Yeah, I agree. That goes for you too, Max, and those three grudges you have out there yeah. that you, you're ashamed of. It's true. It's true. They 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 uh, consume more of my time than uh, than I'd want. So yeah, I'm. Uh, that's good advice to take. Okay, but um, you know, I really uh, miss out on things going on at home with the Champagne Boys, uh, and of course, I missed your big diaper party, Shane. And I haven't talked to you about it yet. I got a report from Dan and Greg about it. They said. It was the the fucking best time uh, ever. He said everybody was out in full effect. All the people that never party anymore were out there partying. And, and your uh, speech that you uh, wrote in the next morning uh, was really heartfelt. So what, what was it like for you, Shane? <laughs> well, people can see that speech on the uh, Instagram. Our, our, I don't think it was that heartfelt. So, so for our, for anyone that's maybe new to this, because they were like, "Hey, Ed Robertson, or 100 episodes," I need to listen to this for the first time. Shane had a big diaper party because he has a baby on the way, little uh, baby Lucy, his daughter, and so uh, my brother threw this uh, big party for him on the weekend. Max, but I want to know, were you following along? We missed you, by the way, Max. Uh, we wish you were there. The only thing missing was you and a couple of the other guys uh, from the band. But were you following along on Instagram? Oh, of course, I was. Yeah, I almost tried. It almost hurts me too much actually to follow too closely because then I just, uh, you know, I'm jealous. That I'm not there, but it looked like it was great. Everyone's wearing cool shirts. I saw stepdad Brad wearing one of my blue Hawaiian shirts or flower shirts. You, someone must have gone upstairs. Yeah, he was very proud to be wearing that. Yeah, <laughs> her John it was, was good. There. It was my first time drinking in eight months. Uh, yeah, my uh, father-in-law John was there. It was very surreal to be drunk again. I had forgotten totally what that sensation was like, and uh, I was a little panic ridden when I when I realized I was drunk and kind of trapped in that uh drunk world but I was happy that um the next morning I wasn't as hungover as I thought I was going to be because that was my big nightmare scenario Mm. and again like I have a I have a broken uh ankle right now or fractured ankle so that was a concern because I thought I was going to get so loose I was just going to uh 
dance my ankle back into a, a worse place than it than it's healed so far. So. <laughs> Our night ended at Burrito Boys, and actually, somebody named Tor on Instagram DM'd us. Because uh, like our night ended at 3 a.m. in Burrito Boys. And I guess some people that were watching our story thought that you were so drunk you had to be carried. Yeah. <laughs> you clarified well, the next day. Well, because you kept saying to me, you were like, Shane, can I post this? Well, I, was, I, did. I, I was like, yes. And you're like, well, are you cool with this? And I didn't really see the big deal because I was like, most people in the pod, I, at least in my mind, think, oh, I have a broken ankle. But some people might not know that. So for the people who don't know that, I just look like this crazy drunkard who's like <laughs> literally legless and I need people to hold me up. So in the morning, I had to clarify that I actually wasn't as drunk as it seemed. I was only being propped up by two guys because I have a, a fractured ankle. <laughs> you know, I was uh, I talked to, to Dan, Dan on the phone. Um, by the way, I have about daily calls with Dan. You know, it's, it's good. He, he fills me in on everything going on. And, and I had a question. I was like, what would it take for the Champagne Boys to get back into like, you know, partying shape of 2011, 2012? Like where and this this kind of event would happen once a week. Is that ever possible? Oh, yeah. Like mass divorce. <laughs> <laughs> like when you're single, you're going to party. It just, yeah. It would take a massive scandal where like eight of us need, would become single at once. <laughs> it's just hard, I think. It's like you're too busy. There's just, you can't drink like that all the time because you don't get anything done. Like you're kind of out of commission, or at least I am the next day. Like I, that's, if, if I go hard, the next day is literally just me watching movies for the next eight hours. But I, I did want to mention, uh, because we Shane mentioned I asked if I could post stuff, on my way down to the uh, the party, I didn't know if we'd be putting this on like the Micah Much um, Instagram because like, I, you know, I'm like, I don't know if he wants to share this with the world or whatever. So I just texted him, we going to be broadcasting your diaper party on the Mike on much social media. Uh, I go asking because I'll start a thing now if we just want it to be a party for us, not some social media thing. I'm more than down with that, too. And then Shane writes back, Yaman, we can. My family can go fuck itself. And then in brackets, he writes, I've been drinking. <laughs> so that's why I. Uh, Anyone that follows our Instagram got to see uh, the shenanigans that night as we devolved into uh, debauchery. And we actually needed those diapers by the end of the night. I don't know how many. Oh, yeah. Well, especially I hadn't had any cheese, sugar or bread (laughs) until that night. Wow. And and the nut nut who's not eating bread was just taking all the cheese off of the slices and then leaving the slices. Uh, It was disgusting. It just looked gross. What a move. I want to start. making sure these kinds of events happen more often. Like I know people are married. I know people are having kids, but it's got to be twice a month, I think, where everyone really commits to it. At least once a month. But let's, let's aim for twice, knowing that we'll probably end up being Aim once. for twice, yeah. 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 And we're going to have a yearly vacation thing, right? Like didn't you sanction that, Mike? Yeah, well, my big thought was so what we've done traditionally is like whenever somebody's gotten married in our group as we get older and settle down, we always go on a huge bachelor party. We've been very lucky to like go to one of these things. So once a year as people have gotten married, we've gone on these trips. We went to Miami for for Sean and Peak. But the thought was I was actually on vac- I was on my honeymoon and I ran into these um two older guys. They were probably like in their 60s. And they said to me, as we said, we were on our honeymoon, they said, the one thing you need to do as you get older, now that you're married, is it's like he said, never stop going on vacation with your friends. Like, Mm. you know, have your marriage, but you need to always go. And I started thinking like, oh, yeah, I'm like, as everyone sort of slowly gets married, there's not going to be a reason to go on a big trip or a bachelor party. Like, we always kind of needed a reason to go away somewhere, get on a plane. So I thought it would be awesome if no matter what, 
once a year, we all just go on a vacation together. Like, is that so crazy no, to like go spend like a long weekend somewhere fun? I love this idea. And also we could just parlay this all into divorce parties too. Cause inevitably that would be <laughs> yeah. up as well. We, I've actually already been on one of those. I won't, I won't mention the person's name, but there was uh there was, there was a trip down to uh, Texas that occurred uh, under that. Uh, so yeah. And I was so crushed that I missed it because you guys went to a Spurs game in San Antonio. Yeah, that's right. Where was I? I didn't go to that divorce party. Yeah. Yeah. It, was, it was a smaller one. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Now Shane's going to hold a grudge against right, you, Max, right. for not inviting <laughs> I sorry. just need an apology and then I'm over. <laughs> just apologize, Max, and we can move on. Okay, before we get to Ed Robertson, guys, uh, what do we want for the next 100? I mean, we're not doing making a huge deal out of this 100th episode thing because really we want to do 100 more. And so this is just another episode, hopefully, in a long line of them, and we're doing this again in 100 and more. But what do you guys want to see for the future? I'm kind of springing this on you. We didn't pre production No, that's okay. No, I, would, I just want kind of more of the same. I just want, and, and more live shows. We're going to work on that. And more pe- more listeners telling their friends to listen. Because, uh, I don't know. This is like, like it, this this kind of exercise gives me energy. You know, there's there's certain things in your day that tire you out. And then there's certain things that just get you excited. And this always gets me excited. So just more of the good stuff. Yeah, I just want to have the pod become bigger and better always. And just become better storytellers and get the chemistry. Like if it's possible to get any better than it is, I think it's pretty good, but I, I just want it to be like by 200, it would be amazing if we were, if we had 10,000 Instagram followers or something like that. Yeah. Cause I, I do look at that as a barometer for success, right? Like I, Instagram growth and all, all or, or just like, pod <laughs> listeners. I thought you said Instagram girls. <laughs> yeah. Th- those two. Uh, <laughs> And, and I'd like a sponsor. Yeah. Yeah. Like I want a mainstay sponsor. MeUndies. MeUndies. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, honestly, this is, uh, like you said, Max, this is something that like gives us energy, doesn't drain energy. Um, I, I would like us going forward, just listening to sort of people respond on Twitter. I'd like to start knocking out a few more of these, even when we don't have a feature guest. You know, maybe we just kind of start releasing pods where we talk. Maybe that's something people be into, like. More frequently, because I find, too, because we're recording, we're trying to do once a week, but sometimes we don't. Like, we're missing a lot like of shit that happens that we could be talking about that's funny or weird or anything like that. So it's like... Let's let's start knocking out more. Let's do more. Okay, actually, that's that's the move. I think we just do more of them. These are fun. These are just catch up phone calls anyway. So let, let's do more of these. Just hang pods. Whether we have a feature guest or not, let's just start doing them. In maybe that maybe that's our mandate for the next uh, for the next hundred. I'm down, man. You down with that, Max? I'm down. Count me in. All right, guys. Let's get to Ed Robertson, uh, our hundredth guest. This is a great interview. This actually took place at the Junos. And uh, did you know Ed? Were you friends with Ed before, Max? No, no, never. I just got his email and I just sent him a note and he got right in touch immediately and set it up. But he couldn't be a nicer guy. Like, I, I mean, I, and I've loved that band forever. So um, it was very exciting for me. Well, it made me end up going back down a rabbit hole. And no joke, for two weeks after the Junos, it was the only thing on like my Apple Music was BNL, like on repeat. Like, Shane, I was coming into work. I was like oh, citing yeah. lyrics. We were talking about I it. I was doing the same. And I think everyone, whether they interviewed Ed Robertson or not, was doing the same. Just because Bare Naked Ladies were so hot after that uh, reunion. Yeah, they were uh, they were awesome, and we did this interview, and we were right like kind of in the bowels of the uh, the GM play. I can't remember the play, the Rogers, Rogers Arena, yeah. right? Yeah, Rogers Arena. And uh, and we were lucky enough to go watch Soundcheck, uh, which was kind of a magical thing. I think I touched on this on the other pod, but man, there was like a real moment there where we weren't allowed to film, and I didn't know if I'd be able to like kind of go. Like I know you can go anywhere. You were playing the the Junos, but when we walked in 
um, they were for the first time ever standing on stage, Stephen and Ed, uh, because they were obviously getting like a Lifetime Achievement Award, Canadian Hall of Fame. And we watched them do If I Had a Million Dollars together. And their two voices were together for the first time in 10 years. And I feel like everybody at that rehearsal, there was probably like maybe 50, 75, 100 people milling about, all just kind of stood and watched that moment. Yeah, there's an alchemy to those two guys singing together that is just unmatched. It's amazing. Uh, you know, I saw them when I was mm, 15, maybe. I went to uh, Guelph with my parents and my sister and we saw them perform and I listen to them all the time. I jam their songs when I first started learning how to play guitar. And uh, yeah, and seeing them all together on stage was, was like very, it was, I, I haven't been, I was kind of like nervous for them. It was one of those things. I'm like, oh my God, like, how's it going to go? And, and it was like riding a bike. It was, uh, it was as if, uh, you know, they did this yesterday. So it was cool. Well, Steven won't perform if I had a million dollars without Ed. Is that true? Yeah. Wow. But Ed will do it without Steven. Where'd, where'd you learn that, uh, Jay? Oh, I was deep diving them like crazy. <laughs> and uh, Steven also won't do Chickadee China alone. He won't do? Oh, really? No, I don't know that part. I just like saying <laughs> Chickadee China. It's, I'm not even sure if that's the song title. It's like Ba Wada Ba. It, it's, called, it's called One Week. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. And that Kid Rock song is called Ba Wada Ba. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I like that Kid Rock somehow managed to weasel his way into our 100th episode. <laughs> All right, on that note, you guys want to get to our conversation with the delightful and kind Ed Robertson? Let's get to it. Uh, we actually have a mutual friend, uh, Jules Fitzsimmons. Oh, no kidding. Yes, Jules Casting. She's, yeah. Yeah, in my day job, I like write and direct commercials. Okay. And we use her for everything. And, uh, well, Jules, uh, yeah, put me on my first TV show. That's She's right. totally awesome. Yeah. Is that the one you were, well, you're a pilot, so is that the one where you were? Yeah, but she, it was her that went to Toronto Island and talked to the airport manager and said, hey, we're looking for a charismatic young pilot. And the guy was like, well, Ed Robertson just got his license here. <laughs> and uh, so she, yeah, she hooked me up with the producers and we've been friends ever since. Oh, and that's how you guys met? Yeah. Man, there you have it. Mm -hmm. Still flying a lot? No, uh, I thought I'd be flying a lot more, but uh, I sold my plane a couple of years ago. Wow. And I thought I would miss it. And I haven't really. I've been super busy. But it's busy to be good. I, mean, <laughs> I, don't, think that, I don't think that works. That one doesn't Irish work. Yeah. Just keep flipping it. Yeah. Uh, was there a particular reason you sold it? Uh, because I got offered more money than I paid for it. <laughs> really? It was that simple? Yeah. Because I would have assumed it would have just been a passion that you just wanted to do, like golfing or anything else. I have to point out, I don't golf, and I hate golf. And <laughs> Me too. I, more than hating golf, I hate people who talk about oh golf. Oh, my God. I, I, we I, have a drummer that golfs, and I don't care about Oh, it. I hate it. Yeah, yeah. It's like, hey, drummer. please tell me about <laughs> how off your shot is. <laughs> I want to hear how you're hooking or slicing or whatever the fuck you're doing. Um, no, what happened was I wasn't flying a lot. Okay. And I thought, I have to fly more because uh, if you don't fly a lot, you're a crappy pilot. So sure. I forced myself to fly a bunch more, and I did my instrument rating. And I thought, okay, now that I'm instrument rated, I'm going to just fly way more. And then a guy walked out into the parking lot who was a plane dealer, and he said, oh, I've just had a deal fall through. I need a plane exactly like yours <laughs> yesterday. And I was like, oh, I don't want to sell. I just did my instrument rating. And he offered me more money than I paid for it, and I said, sold. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought I would replace it right away, but uh, it was two and a half years ago, and I haven't really missed it. Time passes, and then you're like, yeah, yeah. I think I'm done with that. Maybe. Yeah. Well, I kind of wanted to uh, start because you have a, uh, a a reputation. It precedes you of being a very gregarious and kind person. 
I don't know where that comes from. Yeah. I'm, I know the real Ed. No, I'm moody. <laughs> <laughs> Anything will set me off. <laughs> well, assuming you are kind and those aren't just rumors, uh, I guess the question is, like, where does that come from? It comes from uh, crippling insecurity that someone will think poorly of me. Still, eh? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's, it's a blue-collar... Uh, southern ontario working class kid thing yeah uh it comes a little bit from being um you know maybe painfully aware of how fortunate i am to have had the career that i've had and i just uh you know i've sort of thought right from the beginning of my career that if you're nice to somebody they'll tell 10 people and if you're shitty to somebody they'll tell 50 people yeah so i've oh interesting i just try to be nice because i remember all the people that were nice to us when we were coming up um and do you remember the people that were shitty i really remember the people right that were yeah shitty. it's funny and lucky for us there weren't that many yeah really um but that's that's largely because we were kind of in the driver's seat very early we went from opening for a few bands to headlining very early on and we were lucky we had a, a road crew that had really been around the block a lot they had toured with a lot of big acts and robin billington was the first guy we ever hired he was our sound man he's mixed every bare naked lady show since 1990 i think wow so and he was you know, even then, a seasoned touring guy, he toured with Andrew Cash and Pursuit of Happiness and, like, Pursuit Open for the Eurythmics and stuff in Europe. Like, he'd done a lot of touring. You and, caught a veteran, like, right away. Yeah, we got a veteran, and he brought other veterans on board, and he sort of set the tone for our crew, and our crew was super professional and super nice, and they hammered into us right from the beginning. Be nice to everybody on the way up, because you're going to see them on the way down. Yeah. You know, yeah. uh, and it sort of set the whole tone for the organization. Well, going back to that sort of like you said, you went from a couple opening slots to headlining and this explosion. When you set out to make music, did you have sort of a single minded ambition? You know what I mean? Like, did you guys were you like the goal is to get on that stage and start playing arenas from the start? Or were you like, we just like fucking around making music and maybe it will happen? Definitely more the latter, because um I think as a young teenager, I wanted to be that guy in the arena rock band. I was a massive, like, Max Webster and Rush fan. Yeah. And arena rock was, like, where I saw myself, you know? And then you sort of, uh, for me, anyway, I was like, okay, that's not realistic. I'm going to start studying for the first time in my life and try and actually get into university. And oh, So you're pragmatic about it. You're like, I'm going to... Well, kind of, yeah. yeah. And that's when I started... Making music with Steve was when I kind of gave up the dream. It was like, you know, okay, I'm going to stop trying to write rock hits and do something that's really fun with a guy who I think is smart and funny. And we're going to make cassette, you know, four track cassettes in our bedrooms that make us laugh. And that's what we started doing. And I just remember like feeling so much all of a sudden I was like, Oh, this is fun. You know, I'm not trying to make it anymore. This is really fun. There's no and, pressure anymore. Right. Right. And then we, we started doing a lot of club shows and we were getting really good response, but we got turned down by every major label. And so I thought, okay, well this is never going anywhere, but it's more fun than anything else I've ever done with music. So I'll keep doing it and I'll just go to school. Um, 
and I did. So I, I really kind of, it was like the point when I gave up was the point when I started doing Bare Naked Ladies, thinking it would only amuse the two of us. Yeah, it's an interesting thought because the career you have and the, the, the performer that you are is the best version of yourself. And it would be, just from watching you guys for since I was a kid, it would be weird to think of you as like a big, like macho arena rocker. Like at the end of the day, you are kind of who you are. And the guys that are macho arena rockers, they come by that, honestly. Yeah, it's Because true. it's authentic to them. Yeah. And the thing that's authentic to you, because I remember with our band, I like if we were opening for um, like a cooler, like indie Toronto band, I'd be like, okay, I got to act like them. And I and I try to mimic them or that because I thought it might please their audience but then it was just like no that's just a lame version and the and people in the crowd could see i probably wasn't being they can smell it they can smell it right you know we when when we were playing in the toronto clubs um i was so like we worshipped the rio statics they were like you the know, cool band yeah they were the cool band they were making art rock that was like mystifying to me we would do shows with them and i would just be like so blown away i was so into their records you know when we put out gordon i was listening to whale music 24 7 like for me when i think about that period i actually think about whale music not about Gordon. You're on like, that's what was going on for me musically at the time. And the ladies shows at the time were just like pandemonium. Yeah. It was so crazy. But for me musically, I was like super into the reostatics. And so then when when we started headlining big sold out arenas, we brought the reostatics out to open for us. And I'll never forget like their whole show changed. And it was like wow. They were trying to be a big arena rock band like they changed the way they approached the show and it didn't work yeah and it was like i could see that for them they still had this image of like what you're supposed to do when you play in an arena now that was just that was one time yeah. we played with them at the pne but it, it it made me think about that thing where you envision what you're supposed to be and you try to be that, and it just doesn't yeah, work. Yeah, then you ha just have to be the best possible version of yourself. And yeah. as soon as you try to start doing anything else, then... Well, you know. and if you've seen the Rios lately, the, like I've, I've seen a couple shows they've done in Toronto, and of course, Kevin and our band's playing with them now. It's so great. Yeah. And it, it has to be that fearless art rock, not afraid to fall on its face. Yeah. That like That's what's beautiful that's about yeah. them. Yeah. Know? Well, you know, as the you know, you mentioned that you sort of were once you sort of let go and you were making music you thought was fun, you stopped having this sort of single-minded ambition. Did you find that Steven was more ambitious that way or was he kind of doing the same thing as you or did he sort of feel like we need to make it? No, I think we both really kind of resonated in in that way. I think we thought um that you know, it's funny because I think people think about Bare Naked Ladies now and they think, oh, the, you know, the band is that huge band from the early 90s and they're very middle of the road and very, you know, lots of radio hits and blah, blah, blah. But we were really weird. Like, Gordon's a weird record. Yeah. And we were a weird band. Well, you've seen the videos, like, just like scrappy weirdos yes. dancing around. Like, no one else really looked like that or yeah. was singing those like, kinds of songs. We desperately needed a stylist. And <laughs> this, it was a band with like Montuno rhythms and, and five part harmony and weird stuff going on, you know? And I, 
I think that that part gets a little bit overlooked by all but really nerdy music fans. Right. You know? Um, so it's interesting to me to look back on our career and, and think, wow, the, the album that really broke us in Canada was a really eclectic, strange record. And it wasn't like anything else that was going on at the time. Um, then I would say, arguably, we made a much more like radio-friendly record on the second record. Um, and then we got weird again. And that's, that's, I think, where we're more comfortable is when we're being more daring and more just serving the song wherever it takes us. Yeah and and uh taking influences from all the members of the band who who listen to radically different music yeah um i don't know it's it's a very liberating uh place to be and a and a band to be in because I, I, people ask me a lot like oh when are you going to do a solo record it's like i've never felt the need to do a solo record because every idea i've ever had has worked great in bare naked ladies well, with that, we were talking, we were doing some research on the band, and if you kind of suss through, like, the Wikipedia, it's like, you know, Gordon was a hit, and then the next one, oh, it was, the band wasn't sure, and then, you know, Stunt was a hit, and then, then Maroon didn't do quite as well. In the moment, are you feeling that pressure? Are you thinking, oh, shit, this is not living up? Or are you, guys, are you thinking, eh, some records are going to be big, some records aren't going to be as big? Like, at, how did you process that in the moment? At the time, I, I was probably pretty wrapped up in it. Yeah, but like looking at numbers. When you look at it now, Maroon was a failure at 2 million copies. <laughs> yeah, sold. exactly. And like, yeah. Pinch Me is like a huge song, right? Yeah, like, yeah. it's a huge song. It, it was a huge radio hit yeah. for us. And for me, the... The recalibration I've had to do in like to make any success of uh, sense of our success is like you kind of got to take stunt out of the equation. It's this weird anomaly. It's an anomaly. It's an anomaly. We sold six million records that year. We had a number one hit and several other top ten hits in America. It was beyond huge. We were. You know, we were at the Grammys, we were at the World Music Awards, we were at the Billboard Awards, we were on all the shows. Like, we were that band for a couple of years in America. And now, we're in this place where we're not on the radio, like, we're not, well, nobody's really selling records like they used to, but we're certainly not selling records like we used to. Um, And yet, somehow, we go out and we play to 100,000 plus people in America every year or still. We go out and do a summer tour for six or eight weeks and 100,000 people come. The people are there. Yeah. It's like we did all that work over the years to build up this incredible fan base. And now I feel like like I just, you know, our mantra over and over again is like, all we got to be is good. <laughs> you know, like. Let's. We got to make good songs. We got to make good records. We got to do good shows because there's people out there that give a shit. Like, even though we're kind of off the radar, it's like you build something real. Right? Yeah. yeah, and it's like even at a a tenth of what it once was, it's still twenty times bigger than you could have ever imagined in the yeah. first place. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, 
I think we have time for one more. What do you think, Mike? One more, and then we wrap it up. We got time for more than that. <laughs> Jesus. It's um, just a Juno rehearsal. <laughs> well, we were going to ask about Greg Kirsten. Who's oh, ask. Fucking oh, that was blown up. You know, this guy yeah. is working with everybody, and he obviously filled in uh, for Kevin. Kevin when you yeah. guys. Did you, was there something sort of, did you know, oh, this dude's special, and could you see the future? Anyone who spends 30 seconds with Greg Kirsten knows that dude is special. He he opened for the band for a lot of shows. Uh, he had a band called Gagita, and they opened for us in America in 95-ish. They had a hit at the time on college radio. All I want to do is to thank you, even though I don't know who you are. You let me change lanes while I was driving in my car. <laughs> that was the song. <laughs> and... He and the other guy, Tommy, and a friend of mine, Darren Hahn, uh, played drums in that band. And they were so good. They were so great every night. And Greg just, he was so insanely musical. We really hit it off, kept in touch. So we were like, we were playing arenas and big amphitheaters. We were opening for Brian Adams in Germany and huge arenas sold out, you know, 32-day tour. And Kev... Uh, got sick again. Yeah. Greg came in, flew from LA and met us, I think in Denver, 15,000 people at the show. Greg learned our entire two hour set. He went to the dressing room, put on headphones and watched the video from the night before and learned the guitar solos, all the piano parts and all the vocal harmonies for a two hour set in three hours. It's like a savant. And then did the show that night. That's amazing. Guitar solos, like note for note. <laughs> like, it was nuts. That's brilliant. He, he's incredible, and he's just an absolute sweetheart, and he's a musicologist, and we also had, he had a band called Action Figure Party, and we brought them out on tour. Actually, when we had Sarah Harmer and the Proclaimers opening for us in the U.S., we had Action Figure Party out on the concourse. Proclaimers. Yeah, man. Yeah. Okay, one more question. That's okay, yeah. Christina. Two more. Two more questions. Two more, yeah, all right. Uh, you know, we were talking about, because I'm always thinking about band dynamics and how you keep the thing afloat. And it seems like, you know, the four of you have great chemistry. What would you attribute your kind of communication style and then, and just sort of... What has what has made that successful in keeping the the partnership together? Would you what, what, what qualities would you attribute to that? Well, I I think that uh, you know when Steve left the band, I kind of became more of like the de facto front guy, yeah. and I think it was really great for the other guys when I really like I love featuring the other guys and i think i think we feel more like a four-piece unit now and like it used to be the steve and ed show and then, then there were the other guys back there sure you know um and i think that the, the way the dynamic changed it opened up a little bit more space for everybody and i i think this is me maybe overthinking it but i think the fact that i just didn't fill up all that extra space and left a lot of room for the other guys, I think that made everybody feel more attached to, to what we're doing. Yeah, just empowering them. Yeah. yeah to- um, you know, Kevin has, like, really come to the table as a writer, 
and as a player and you know he knows how much i appreciate what he brings to my songs and in fact we co-wrote three songs on the last record and i don't know i it, like any relationship communication is the really the only thing that matters and we've been very deliberate about communicating these last 10 years um and it's made the whole environment uh, better and healthier and easier to attach to, you know. It's, it's really easy to get mired in dysfunction. Uh, and and I, I certainly don't mean to pin that on Steve. Like when I say that, I'm not saying, oh, when Steve was gone, everything got better. It, it just, you know, we, we were in a weird place. And um, the band had just, we just weren't communicating well. And when we parted ways with Steve, there was a very concerted effort to like, okay, why are we doing this? Why do we actually want to keep doing this? And how are we going to do it in a way where everybody's happy and proud of this? Would have been hard to have that conversation before Steph, Steve left the band, like, or is that just like an impossible thought to get to? Yeah, I think at the time it was an impossible thought yeah. to get to. Yeah, um, and deciding to continue as a four piece was a very, it was a difficult and deliberate thing. So it it forced us to reassess everything about the band. Sure. It's like, okay, well, we're gonna have a lot stacked against us trying mm -hmm. to continue this thing as a four piece. Everybody be questioning why we're doing it if we can do it all this stuff so if we're gonna do that like let's make everything about it better yeah well for you you said you know it, it was the steve and ed show and then it became more of a cohesive four piece was there did you have any like sort of fear about shit like now i'm going to sort of be in the front here uh you know totally just aesthetically for yeah the fans. It, it was nerve-wracking for a while uh, and we really overthought it. Yeah. And there was a long period where it was very stressful. And then, you know, the first show we did back as a four piece was at Universal Studios in Florida in front of 14,000 people. Wow. And they had, they had booked us when we were five piece. Mm -hmm. They were big fans. The promoters down there, they said, we totally believe in you guys. We know you can pull it off. But we didn't know we could pull it off <laughs> yet. Uh, but we rehearsed. We, we brought in Michael Philip Voyevoto, who produced a bunch of records for the band and it was a longtime friend and collaborator. We brought him in. We rehearsed with him a lot. And we really overthought every aspect of it. When do we play certain songs? What do we say? Like, what do we... Every, every aspect of it, we, we thought about it. And then we got up on stage and we realized we're the only ones that care about this. Yeah. Like there's a huge audience of people out there that do not fucking care. Hmm. They don't give a shit. They want to hear the songs they like. They don't even know what I look like, <laughs> you know? And it was liberating. It, it took a big weight off our shoulders. And like I said, we got to, oh, so we just got to be good. Mm -hmm. We got to earn people's faith in us when they come to the show. We, we never mail it in. We have never, ever mailed it in. We try hard every time. And, uh, you know, we just don't take it for granted that we're still here all these years later. If we deliver, they'll show up. 
Yeah. And they did show up, so we're going to deliver. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> perfect guy, way to end it. Yeah, it yeah. ties it all together. <laughs> Thank yeah. you so much for your time. Ed, Thank you, guys. Else no, 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 this is awesome. You Thank you. I really appreciate it. it. Yeah. Thank you. Hillside uh, Conservation Area in Guelph. Oh, yeah. And Danny Michelle opened the show. Yeah, the, that was the, the roof. Fundraiser. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I, uh, okay, oddly, I remember every show. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, 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 I kind of have. Like, if oh, people yeah. will give me like one detail, I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. that's when this thing happened. Wow. Yeah. Like, okay, I know that, but why do you know that? <laughs> yeah. For the hundredth time, welcome to The Dessert. We are joined, of course, by our pop culture aficionado, Shane Christian Cunningham. Shane, what do you have for us? As you know, Mike and Max, I'm working on something pretty big. And if you're listening to this, it's not that something has gone wrong. It's that, <laughs> it's that this project has taken over my life and I've somehow missed the deadline. So I'm recording this to not hold up this episode because it is the hundredth episode. As you can see, Max can't see this, but we have legendary uh, former Much Music producer C Wong here right now, best commercial director in Toronto. Yeah, yeah. What's up? What's up? <laughs> he he is here because right after we wrap this dessert, Maxi Shane is going to continue with uh, this this I think really fascinating piece that he's working on. So, but if listeners, if you're hearing this, it means Shane's thing's not ready, and it will probably be out for one hundred one or one hundred two, or you'll never hear this. And I I know you see. You say you never hear this, but I think some listeners are like rolling their eyes like, oh, yeah, this is another like bullshit thing that Shane said he's going to do and that he's not going to do it. <laughs> it's going to get done, guys. I've been staying at work till midnight every night. I didn't watch the Raptors game last night. It was a rather crucial game and I didn't see one lick of it. And my entire weekend, I'm going to work on it from like morning till night <laughs> and every night thereafter until it's done. So. So don't go saying it's not going to get done. <laughs> Especially you, Mike. I want you to believe that. I believe in you, baby. You too, Siwon. Believe in baby. All right. <laughs> <laughs> These guys will fall for anything. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, and again, I don't want to get too much into it. All, all I'll say is that there's some twists and turns going on that I hope are interesting to you, which I'm, I'm confident they will be. And uh, I hope all these man hours I've been putting into this pay off. And I hope you're not even listening to this. <laughs> but get excited if you're hearing this, because it means that Shane's just working harder on this final piece that will come out. And I am working on it. I know. <laughs> got a pregnant wife at home and I'm here at work editing. So I'll leave it at that. Wait, that's the dessert? What, you want more than that? <laughs> what? You had like a, like a, a, a dessert in the chamber. That's just a tease, bro. I don't give a shit. <laughs> That's it. That's all. Uh, that is our 100th episode in the books. Thank you so much to our listeners. Honestly, without you guys, uh, like I said, we're just three guys talking to each other. Uh, so thank you for listening for 100 episodes, and hopefully uh, you'll be listening uh, to us for 100 more and with us for the journey. We really appreciate it. Uh, you can find the Mike on Much podcast on Twitter and Instagram at Mike on Much. Subscribe to the podcast wherever you find your podcasts. Uh, leave a comment uh, in the ratings. Uh, and I, we thanked everybody off the top, so that's all I got for you. We did. Yeah. The Michael Much Podcast is produced by Max Kerman. As always, we love having our pop culture aficionado join us for the journey, Shane Cunningham. Thank you for being here for Thanks 100. for having me. Uh, see you guys next week if we don't die on the weekend. <laughs>